Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We live weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Jim and Buddy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to Weekly Weights. This is episode 55, I think. I'm Will Berkman. Um, this week, Alex Hayes has gone away to watch the NBA, but I'm joined in his place by Simon Bergner. Simon is the owner of NSPC, which is a gym in Wollongong. Um, have I said that right, or is it sort of halfway between Sydney and Wollongong? Am I you're perfect. Wollongong's fine. Yep. Northern suburbs of Wollongong. Northern suburbs of Wollongong. He's a powerlifting coach with a background uh, in SNC, so he's a level one and two SNC coach, um, and he's also got a sports coaching diploma. He personally was a pro golfer, and he's coached golf as well, and he's also now doing some distribution for Samtech in Australia. So he's got his finger in a number of pies, and the pie that we're actually going to talk about today is his role as a para powerlifting coach. Simon, thank you for joining us. Do you want to add anything to what I just said? No, thanks, Will. Thanks for having me on today, guys. Uh, looking forward to the opportunity. Sweet. So Simon is a coach for the Australian para powerlifting team. I guess the first question is, how did you actually become involved in that, and what's your specific role? Uh, so Will, I was uh, I had a had an interest in disabled sport for a long time, sort of over the last uh, two to three years, and I did a bit of research around you know where para powerlifting was at and who was looking after the program, and why powerlifting Australia wasn't actually involved with the program. And before it was um, it was run by weight. I think it had a, a heavily involvement with weightlifting, and over the last few years, there was no one looking after the program. So it came about in 2017 before the 2018 Com Games. It was middle of through 2017 that uh, the program was looking to hold an event or, or, or Australian Paralympic Committee wanted to hold an event because we needed some uh, athletes to go to the Commonwealth Games. Um, so back and forwards with the Australian Paralympic Committee, um, we organised an event on the Gold Coast before the Com Games. And I got uh, invo- involved with the coaching side of things. Uh, you know, had a few meetings with different para-, para athletes from Australia and also overseas. And then sort of fell into the role of, of coaching um, at that event. And then it sort of uh, snowballed from there. And so what was it that sort of um, piqued your interest in disabled sport initially? Mate, I think to be honest, when, when I, I, you know, I looked around and I looked at Commonwealth Games and Paralympic Games, and I was like, "There's a lot of really, really strong para powerlifters here." Um, you know, what, what is there in Australia? I hadn't seen anything advertised. I hadn't seen anything on you know, social media. I thought, "Where's, where's the para athletes from Australia?" I kept doing a little bit of research, saw, saw some, some of the good lifters, Nang, um, Ben Wright, and a few others, and I thought, "Well." You know, who's coaching these guys? Who's looking after them to try and you know, to be the best they possibly can be? And then when I got in touch with some of those guys, they said, well, yeah, the program hasn't been, it's been non-existent for the last couple of years. Like it's just been volunteer-based and it was sort of rant. Didn't really have a body over it, over the over the program. Um, so, yeah, I um, I, I just made, I made some calls uh, to the Paralympic Committee and Robert and just said, oh, look, you know, um, I think we need to put our hands up to try and help out with this program moving forward. And that's how it sort of came about. So you were saying initially that um, para powerlifting wasn't actually affiliated with powerlifting Australia. It was more done under weightlifting. Is that because it is an Olympic sport? I think, uh, I think it was that way. So I think long story short, it was involved with powerlifting many years ago. 
and then it came, it went away. And then I think the funding was given to, um, don't quote me on this, but I think the funding was given to Weightlifting Australia because a lot of the time when we go to a Commonwealth Games or Paralympic Games, uh, para powerlifting and weightlifting gets um, binded together uh, due to you know, similar weights and, and things that are being used. And I think weightlifting had the program for a period of time um, beforehand. So, yeah. That that funding got, I think it was cut in twenty fourteen. Um, yeah, after the Glasgow Glasgow Commonwealth Games. Yeah, right. Well, let's take a step back then, because a lot of the listeners are familiar with powerlifting as a three lift sport, and possibly as bench press only and deadlift only. What is para powerlifting, and how does it differ from just a normal powerlifting competition? Sure. So para powerlifting, basically uh, a wider bench. So the headpiece is narrow or similar width to uh, a standard bench press. And then it becomes um, from where the sh- approximately just, um, just below the shoulders, the bench becomes wider, approximately double the width of a standard bench press, maybe even a little bit long, a bit wider than that, two and a half times. Um, so you lay flat on the bench, uh, feet are up. That's the main difference. So feet up bench press. Um, and then you can also use up to two straps on the bench um, and things like uh, rulings and um, requirements to make a good lift in para powerlifting is different. It's much stricter. Um, there is a start call given. There's no press command. So the bar must stop motionless on the chest and then there's a rack command. Um, the two straps can be used. One, one strap needs to be below uh, knee by the knee and to the ankle and the second strap can be used uh, above the knee and up to hip just below hip line um does an athlete need to use two straps no some athletes i coach use no straps others use one uh, most commonly i'd say one one strap is probably the most common so they're the most they're the main differences uh with para powerlifting so so para bench or para powerlifting to standard bench press so feet down feet are up you can use a strap um, the requirements to make a good lift are harder. When you say the requirements are harder, I remember you explaining to me once that the the lifters will have lifts disqualified if the bar, like if their elbows extend unevenly and things like that. So what are some of the more specific technical changes that they have to adhere to? Sure. So um, if the bar, so if the bar is lopsided or, or staggered or el- like on an elevator path on the way up, so one side comes up higher than the other, uh, that's a no lift. If the bar bounces or sinks into the chest, also a no lift. Um, if a foot, say, even if the foot is strapped in, if the, the foot comes up or slides off the side of the bench, also a no lift. Um, and of course, if the lifter goes before the start of the rack command. Um, but a big one I find between standard bench press and para, para powerlifting is if the bar sinks at all or moves deviates at all on the chest and no lift is given so i guess it, it's a much stricter um stop on the chest than, right. than lift bench or, bench or feet down bench press so given that why is there not a um press command given in para uh well they used in powerlifting also was the same there was no press command given for a while years ago in three lift powerlifting or feet down powerlifting or feet down bench press sorry um that's just one of the rules World Power Power things come up with. Um, I, don't, I don't know the reason why there's not. It's just up to the lifter's discretion of how long they need to stop on the chest. Um, and then 
yeah. And then referees give the decision if they think the pause was long enough. Yeah, right. One other thing I've noticed about para um, is that they compete with bumper plates. Do they use the same bar as we would use in three lift powerlifting, or is it like a weightlifting bar? No, it's a weight. It's much more similar to a weightlifting bar, and the knurling is much, um, oh, much softer or not as deep. So a standard um, three lift powerlifting bar, the 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 um, the knurling would be more aggressive than a para powerlifting bar, and the flex is a little bit more on a para powerlifting bar. It would be closer to a weightlifting bar. Are the like other rings in the same place on the bar? Yes, eighty-one centimeters. Yes. Okay, cool. So, so so far we've got para powerlifting is essentially like a bench press only competition, but with these different technical rules on a slightly different bench press and using slightly different equipment. Um, sure. You've coached at you were saying at the Commonwealth Games level for this mm. in a sport where you only have three attempts. Um, what happens strategically with the coaching? Like, are you able to change attempts on your final bench press like you would otherwise in a deadlift in this instance or what? Yes, exactly right. So up to two changes on your last lift. Um, The main difference is from um, standard bench press is before, before the opening lift in three lift powerlifting, it's up it's three minutes before you have to make the opening, like an opening attempt change in para powerlifting. It's up to five minutes. Um, the increments are one kilo, same as world powerlifting now, increments are one kilo, except for world records, they're 0.5 of a kilo. Uh, you can make two changes on the last uh, the last attempt. Right. And so how much jockeying for position do you tend to see in para powerlifting comps? Or is it pretty clear cut who's going to win sort of when everybody walks into the room? Uh, well, like at, at a Commonwealth Games level, there's quite a big discrepancy between lifters. At a, at a Paralympic Games where there's only the top eight in each weight class, top eight males in each weight class and top six females, the Paralympic Games, it's a lot closer. There'd be a lot more um, yeah, jockeying of uh, attempt selection and things like that towards the back end. But at a, I'd say like, like a Commonwealth Games level, it was noticeable that the two Nigerians were way in front of the rest of the group. Um, in one of our, there was a heavyweight and a lightweight category. In the lightweight category, the two Nigerian lifters were far and beyond uh, compared to third place talking 200 kilos plus 210 kilos down to i think it was 180 175 and what type um, what weight class was that being performed in that was lightweight so that was up to 72 kilos so um any say in common games that have a lightweight category uh 50 54 kilos up to 72 kilos and then um uh the heavyweight category, uh, 72 kilo plus, um, plus. Right. So that was actually going to be my next question is um, how do weight classes work in para powerlifting? Because many of these athletes are, you know, amputees or dual amputees. How do they sort of equate for the differences in body weight? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, so different weight classes, there is some different weight classes here. Female weight classes, 41, 45, 50, um, 55, 61, 67, 73, 79, 86, and 86 plus. Uh, males are um, the 50, 50, uh, top of my head, I think it's, one, I'll, I'll come down, 107 plus 107, 97, um, uh, 88, 80, 72, 65, and 59 and there might be one lighter weight class than that so the difference is if if someone has um 
um, has an like a, an amputated uh, lower limb, so say it's below knee amputee, depending on what their weight is, um, I think it's under 65 kilos for a male, it might be adding of one and a half kilos. Um, if it's a double, um, double above knee amputee, it might be two and a half kilos each leg. So say if it's a double knee above, double above knee amputee, and they're weighing 72 kilo male, it could be an extra five or six kilos on top of their, their current body weight. So if their body weight, their official uh, weight would be 78 or something. Yeah, right. spot on, exactly right. So if they're a, yes, that's spot on. Okay, that makes sense. And so is there then a Wilkes formula equivalent used for para powerlifting or do they just yes. use a Wilkes formula? No, they don't use the Wilkes formula. It's called the AH formula. Halziki, I think it is. Halziki formula, but it's the AH. Similar process to a Wilkes formula. Um, also, you know, body weight to, to compare body weight to um, weight lifted. Yeah, right. Okay. So now we've got sort of a scope of what the weight classes are like. What are some sure. of the most impressive para powerlifters in Australia lifting? Uh, para powerlifters in Australia. Um, Currently, uh, Ben Wright, 181 kilos at 88 kilos. Um, females, 60, 66 kilos at, say, 50 kilos. Um, another guy I coach online in New Zealand, uh, 160 at about 80 kilos body weight. Um, so, you know, close to double body weight is, a, is, a, is quite good in Australia currently. And internationally, what are some of the best lifters lifting? Internationally, under 50 kilos, for instance, female. Uh, I think world record currently is about 123 kilos. Um, um, uh, Ali Jarwood, Ali Jarwood at 54, 54 or 56 kilo male might be something along the lines of 196 kilos, maybe 200 kilos. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some monstrous weights being lifted, three times body weight. Uh, Siamad Rahman, super heavyweight, 311 kilos. Um, yeah. It's a mind-blowing way to move, like, 50 kilo female benching 123. Um, Feet up. Plus, you know, female, two and a half times body weight. Like, it's just, yeah. Yeah, it's mind-bending, like you said. Um, Crazy. In fact, for context, you were saying the the super heavyweight Iranian bloke who benched 311, right? Yes. So, if I'm right, the most that's been lifted in a three-lift competition was... um, uh, Kirill Sarashev with like just over 330, right? Sure, that's, a, sure. yes. that's a non-drug tested sure. super heavyweight guy with his feet down. Sure. And we're saying a bloke feet up um, is benching within 20 kilos of the most ever done. And this is in, uh, this is at the Paralympic level. So that's a drug tested athlete as well. Sure. Spot on. Exactly so, so these are some of the most impressive, I guess, strength athletes, you know, particularly mm-hmm. bench press athletes in the world. No, I totally agree. And remembering, like you mentioned there, this is a tested federation and, and, and the pathway to get to a Paralympics, uh, a lot of the athletes have to compete in, uh, it's called a, a pathway to a Paralympic Games. You must compete in it two world, so world champions, two, two world championship events are leading in. So you have to be on the pathway about two years before. You can't turn up to the event six months before and say, oh, I want to go and compete in Paralympic Games. You've had to compete at world championships, um, a world cup, 
um, and then you're on the pathway. So say at the moment we're looking for Tokyo. Um, so it, it's a big process. Uh, and so that whole time they're also exposed to testing, right? So it's exactly right. Spot on. Yep. Um, so that was that actually sort of leads me down the path of how are these athletes tending to get involved in para powerlifting? Um, you know, having spoken to a few, what's the what's the, I guess the common pathway for involvement? I guess in Australia, it's a it's a very small sport. Like our sport might be uh, fifteen to twenty five current uh, para powerlifters. Where you look somewhere like um, Nigeria or um, uh, Great Britain, like they've got big teams. Uh, funding's num- uh, number one, uh, you know, a big thing. Funding's a big thing because the, the government or the, the country they're from helps support the, the program. Um, in Australia, we're, we're limited with funding. It's a, we've been doing come and try days. So we've, we've had some wheelchair sports days where it's come and try, come and try para powerlifting. We've done some in Wollongong, some in Newcastle, Canberra uh, last year, on uh, Gold Coast, Brisbane. So Ideally, it's through those um, disabled sports associations. Someone can, you know, come and come to one of those days, or can come to an event. Other thing, Australia is now having more para benches around the country to try and promote the sport. So NSPC, we have one there, and we offer para powerlifting at all of our competitions, our local competitions. Brisbane North Barbell now has a para bench, also offering um, para powerlifting events, and we're looking to grow that even more uh, down the tracks where. There's a there's a para bench at all major major cities, so para athletes can come and either try a competition or at least try a para bench to see what it feels like. There's a lot of the a lot of the, the athletes are out trying and, and trying to on, and trying to train on uh, bench presses. It's just so different from what a para bench feels. Most people have never tried a para bench. Like able bodied people, they try a para bench, and they go, "Geez, that feels so different." Geez, I can't, you know. Can't get leg drive. What is that? Feels so different. Um, mm. That's what we're trying to do currently at the moment. More come and try days and more benches at affiliated powerlifting clubs. And so, once somebody is identified as being a talented powerlifter, um, sure. how much support are they getting from the government? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> currently, uh, unless they're uh, at a podium level. Nothing. Well, that's a bit grim, but I guess this is, I mean, like powerlifting, you know, three lift powerlifting is, you know, a hobby sport for most people. I guess para powerlifting is going to be the same, but even more niche. Do we have anybody at the moment who is actually contending for podium level, you know, say at the Commonwealth or Paralympic level? Uh, Commonwealth Games were outside chances. Looking to forward to Birmingham 2022, the maximum amount of lifters we can currently take is, or maximum lifters we can take is six. Uh, we've got a current. Our chances are to fill four, five, or six spots um, to podium. Uh, that, that'll be challenging. Um, we're 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 likely chance to be top five in a couple of those events. Podium um, outside chances. Right. And what do you think the role of, you remember the Invictus Games last year, I think you were actually interviewed by the ABC when that was on. Sure. What do you reckon um, initiatives like that are doing for participation in para powerlifting and just awareness of the sport? I think awareness of the sport is fantastic. Uh, getting more people to know what para powerlifting is. Um, I thought there might have actually been uh, more people wanting to come and try para powerlifting and compete in para powerlifting. There hasn't been a big influx of, um, of lifters from the, from the Invictus Games um, wanting to lift, 
But I think just for the sport in general and, and getting to the general public of what para powerlifting is uh, was fantastic. So I guess the big question for a lot of three lift athletes is what can we learn from para powerlifters and also why are they so good? So do you have any pocket theories for why para powerlifters are outperforming three lift powerlifters in the bench press? Well, I think number one is they don't have to squat um, squat and deadlift. That's systematic stress number one would be the thing they don't have to um, well, they, don't, they don't have that um, stress on the system. Uh, I also think um, they are that focused on technique, which I don't think a lot of three, no, I'm not saying three athletes don't think about technique, but I think they have more time to think about technique. Very, very good. Um, and also just practicing of the skill, uh, having more time to practice of the skill. Remembering a lot of these, uh, a lot of para powerlifters um, and some of our best para powerlifters, Brian McNichol here, um, 2000 gold medalist, don't quote me, but I think 2000 gold medalist, Brian McNichol, bench 230 at 90 kilos. He was one of my mentors. And when I chatted to him about it, I said, oh, how many days a week were you, were you training? Like, what, what, what were you doing? Like, you know, how, how much were you training? And he said, well, I'd be bench pressing uh, AM, PM, uh, four to five days a week and one day uh, early morning. And I said, yeah, how, how did you tolerate that much? He said, well, we just did over a period of time. I didn't start like that, but I progressively led into that up to 20 ton of bench press volume per day, not per week, per day. So some of those things, like you listen to that, like, you know, what 20 ton a week? You know, a week, that's not a 20 ton a day. They did a lot of practice on the bench press. And I said, look, how much pulling work do you do? Like, how much back work do you do there? And he said, look, you know, it might be one variation of pulling work that wasn't overly taxing. And then we sort of go home. How long was sessions? An hour and a half. Okay, well, uh, then we come back in the afternoon and do something similar or do a variation in the afternoon. That's very different, in my opinion, than three lift. That's absolutely very different. I mean, what's, what is 20 tons? Let's sort of extrapolate that a bit. What does 20 tons mean for somebody who's benching over 200 kilos? You know, what type, like if he's doing in the oh. 70% range, it's 140 kilos. And that's well, what? I said the, yeah. 150 reps, right? Well, I said to him, I said, how did you actually get to the 20 ton? Like, what did you mean by 20 ton? And he said, well, he also counted his warm-up. So I said, look, you know, there's the bar can. He goes, no, the bar doesn't count. So he goes, I might do two sets of 20 at 40 kilos. Then I might do two sets of 15 at 60 kilos. Then I might do two sets of 10 at 80 kilos, two sets of eight at 100, maybe two sixes at 120, two fives at 140, and then... Uh, four fours working at 160 and then I might come back down exactly the same way I came up or I might go and you know, come back down to 100 kilos and I'm wrapped two sets or something like that. So the total volume, when I did my calculations, when I went home and just digested it all, I was like, wow. Like it's just, for me, it seemed very similar how a Bulgarian or a weightlifter uh, um, was training. It was very similar to a, to a um, and he said, "Yeah, well, I was actually coached by one of the one of the um, very good weightlifting coaches in Victoria. who's now coaching in the Oceania. Um, he said he was all about like you need more volume. Currently, I'm looking at your program. And you're doing four ton a day. We need to increase that. He increased it slowly over a year and a half. His bench press went from 180 to 230. He went Sorry. from 82 82 and a half kilos to 90 kilos and benched from uh, 82 and a half 180. He benched not at 90 kilos. He benched 130 kilos." 
So in the space of a year, he put 50 kilos on an elite bench press. Uh, 18 months. 18 months. Yeah, it's quite incredible. Um, so for a bench press, as you know, like that's just <laughs> some guys in 18 months might go backwards, might put that at an elite level, might put five kilos on their bench. They do, you know, put seven or eight kilos. I think, and this is fantastic. Like I'm, I'm you know, at the highest level. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, by the way, mate, if you if you don't move forward and back too much, your mic will pick you up better. Sometimes when you sit back, you drop out a little. So, sure. yep, um, you just eyeball me <laughs> through the screen, yeah. guys. To our listeners, Simon's not enormously gifted with technology. Um, can't open Facebook Messenger on his computer, so I had to resend the link to this Zoom meeting via email but we're doing pretty well Thanks for letting everyone know mate that's fantastic great even better no worries bro. i'll cut that out um yeah guys you can you can reach him by snail mail after the show if you want to talk to him because he's still getting around Come down and save him. <laughs> yeah, exactly um so you've said that the lack of systemic fatigue from squatting and deadlifting and just the sheer amount of bench press these people do would account for some of the big differences um are there any advantages to having the wider bench press or being strapped to the bench? Do you think? I think with the strap, depending on where, if you have a, an, an like a um, an ampute, if you're an amputee or if you have CP or depending on what your injury is or, or your disability is, it just depends totally. So I had some some of my athletes say to me, um, with the strap, it feels like I can drive my heels down into the bench and push up against the strap. It feels like my bum won't pop off the bench. Um, one of the big differences. Uh, and I just think for most of my athletes, the strap provides some stability. Um, so it holds them in. Uh, a lot of my, one or two of my athletes don't like the strap being too tight on the bottom half just to hold their feet in place. But above the knee, they like that to be in quite tight to feel like they're stable on the bench. Yeah, right. Um, and then one other theory I've heard about, um, about para-athletes is that because like that i think it was put that if you don't have um if you don't have control of your lower limbs then you might have sort of increasing like increased neural drive and muscular control of the upper limb do you know if there's any truth to that have you ever heard anything about it i haven't heard anything about that i sort of i understand why that might be the case um but i haven't heard or read or um Heard along the grapevine that that, that that may be the case. I've had some of my athletes say to me, look, we're in a wheelchair. We push ourselves around daily. We've got used to that. We've become accustomed to that. So walking around or, you know, becomes easy on our hands. So then when we have to press, it's actually not, it's, you know, we're used to it. But we're getting, because we're getting a lot of work outside day to day by pushing ourselves around. Yeah, well, I guess if, if your limb is your, like, force-producing appendage, you know, like, if you're, if you're used to jumping off your feet when you go to produce an explosive force, I guess maybe your brain's kind of wired to your feet to do that. But if your hands are what you do that with, maybe maybe that translates. Yeah. But I don't know. That's bro science. Yeah, sure. But like, like you said, yeah, that's right. Um, so then let's talk about um, when you actually do coach para powerlifters. Are there specific cues or things that are different about how you teach them technique as opposed to regular bench press? Yeah, there is a little bit more. Like I find that with parapalfers, the bar touches for majority here, majority of parapalfers, the bar touches up a little bit higher on the chest. So for a lot of feet down benches, we touch a little bit lower. So sternum or maybe a little bit lower. Most parapalfers are a little bit higher up on the chest. I also find that um, that a lot, 
I'm playing around a lot with Japanese grip and you know, other variations of bench press technique currently at the moment. Most of my para-athletes aren't playing around with that. There's a couple of things in the rule book where the thumb has to be directly around the bar and finger over the bar. Um, slightly different than what calcium rules or IPF rules. But wrist position actually looks a lot stiffer than, say, like a Japanese grip where it's a lot more forward, like flexed back in the – but the wrist is a lot more flexed back in a back position. Um, most para-athletes have a wrist stiffer and the bar touches a little bit higher. And I find laying laying flat on the bench, the arch is harder to create. Are they still allowed to create an arch? Like, is it still butt has to be on the bench, head has to be on the bench and shoulders? Or are, are they not allowed to arch at all? No, they are allowed to arch. Right. Um, so just for the listeners, can you explain what the Japanese grip and some of those other grip variations are that you might use in a regular bench press, but not in para? Mm, sure. So I guess a Western bench press or a, what we're currently exposed to is that the bar, well, wrist position might be slightly flexed back with a, with a Western grip and the bar sits, say, just below the middle of the palm, whilst a Japanese grip sits the 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 hand or the, the forearm is slightly internally rotated and the bar sits a little bit lower on the hand so the position of the bar is lower in a japanese grip and the wrist is flat wrist is internally rotated and it's actually flexed back a lot more in a japanese grip so Why? <laughs> we want the bar on the hardest part of your palm going down directly through your joint. So for people who are air benching at home, if you hold yes. your hand out, palm facing away from you, internal yes. rotation is you turn your thumb down In. towards the floor. Yeah, so in towards your midline. And then you're saying the bar sits right over the base of your wrist. So in that meaty area, directly yes. at the base of your thumb. And then is Correct. the bar then angled? Is, does the bar kind of sit straight, which means it's it's propping out sort of directly between your thumb and forefinger or does the bar sit on an angle on your hand? No, the, the first option for, uh, before your thumb and forefinger. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then the yeah, wrist is playing without seeing, but yeah, then you say the wrist is cocked back. So as in your, um, your palm would be facing the ceiling rather than sort of away in front of you when you're lying on the bench press. Yes, correct. And so that would facilitate what a higher touch point on the bench press than at normal uh, a little bit but it's also about the bar so we want to we have our wrist flex right back so it sits directly through the joint and when we take it down and it touches on our sternum or chest the bar is sitting directly over scapula right so from here i'm thinking uh, the bar sitting a little lower hand slightly internal rotated and then yeah the, the, the wrist is jacked quite violently back right and so in para powerlifting, when these lifters are touching higher, so they're not using a Japanese no. grip, they're using more of like a Western bench press grip because sure. of the rule stipulations. You say they touch higher than many of the three lift lifters. Why do you sure. think that's the case? I think it's due to the, the feet positioning, creating a different point in the arch. We can't create arch as much. And I find that the bar touches slightly higher when we're not arching as much. So in a three lift context, um, I'm playing devil's advocate now. In a three-lift context, the people who arch least often tend to also tuck more when they bench press. You know, like think of, say, Brandon Lilly is a good example of somebody who doesn't have a very big bench arch and he benches with sort of a moderate grip and he touches quite low with a tucked elbow position. 
Whereas most people, if I think of, say, you know, my client, Chrissy Dask, who you know well, um, you know, she's got a really extreme arch and her elbows go very wide and she touches quite high. Um, you know, why is it that you think having the flatter back would force the people to touch higher in this instance? Oh, good question. Um, I just, I've found that parapalifers, you know, you said like the elbow positioning is quite wide on someone like Chrissy Dask, who's, who's arching quite a lot. Mm. I also find parapalifers actually have the elbow further direct or further under or under directly under the bar when they're bench pressing too. I find that when they're, in my experience, they are touching higher when the elbows are struck directly under the bar instead of a lot of Japanese or three lift benches where the elbow is slightly in front of the bar, the bar is still touching a little bit lower. When it's directly under or directly under the bar, it feels like they're touching, starting to touch higher up. When you say slightly in front of the bar, you mean the elbow slightly towards your feet or slightly towards your waist of the bar, right? Yes, perfect, yes. Yeah, that kind of makes some sense to me. So is there anything, are there specific training practices that you've taken from para powerlifting and then appropriated to, um, to three lift powerlifting athletes? Much more specific training on the bench press, less variations. And what have the results of that tended to be? Uh, quite good. So over the last 12 months, or oh, maybe a little bit longer than that, over the last 18 months, good. I always had the approach that uh, doing more variations had a good carryover to my bench press. But I've found that, and with para powerlifters, if I can get them doing more skill-specific training, the actual lift, mm. um, I've had better results doing that than doing more dumbbell work, post-grip work, wide-grip variations, etc. So, And that's also coming from the Japanese. The Japanese continually practice. It doesn't come in. They're not coming in for a workout. They're coming in to uh, practice a skill. So like a golfer comes in to practice a skill when they're going to hit balls. They're not going out there to try and think, oh, how can I get bigger muscles, say, for bench press? They're focusing on the skill. Same as a parapalfa. It's so much of a skill-based sport now um, because the, the ruling is so hard. I find that they need to do a lot more work on the actual lift itself. And I've, I've for three lift, lifters, I think that's also uh, very important. So if you cast your mind back to when we were in Uzbekistan together in 2015, you remember we had some of those very good Japanese bench presses with us and something I noticed about them when they were warming up was they, they did heaps and heaps of reps and heaps and heaps of sets, almost a bit like the powerlifter that you were talking about a bit earlier. Um, I remember seeing many of them doing you know sets of you know, 20, 15 and 10 and so on all the way up to close to their opener. Is that something that's commonplace in, um, in Japanese bench press training and in competition? So that was Yuzuki Suzuki, who benches 211, I think, at uh, 75 kilos. Aiki Kadama bench 220, and a half recently in the Japanese nationals. Two very different ways to approach bench press training. Yuzuki, a lot more, vol um, not more volume, but a lot more uh, accessory orientated, loves of exercises, biceps, uh, pulling work, uh, lots of uh, variation of pulls, lots of variations of the main lift. While Daiki, uh, 40, 40 or 41 years of age, bench 300 in the equipment at 73, uh, just bench 222 and a half. He is very much more around the approach that it's a skill and you need to practice. Uh, meaning practice, how many sets and reps, 
that varies continually, but it could be up to three or four hours of bench press practice a day. Do they follow a strict rigid program? From what I'm learning, not so much. It's more about you have to come in and practice. Uh, common day for him could be 15 sets of eight at 170 kilos. The next day could be coming in and doing a touch and go at 200 kilos. Um, he just did recently 200 kilos for eight um, with a very light touch and go. It looked like if he had to pause it, he could pause it. Uh, his approach is very different. So like you said about Yuzuki, I don't know as much about him. I just know he's much more focused on accessory movements and someone like Daiki is much more focused on skill-specific work and practicing the main lift. How much back work does he do, Daiki? Very minimal. It's, it's peculiar how you can have two people who seem so similar going about things such a different way and still ending up with phenomenal results that are also quite similar. Um, mm. Totally. I, I totally agree. Like when, 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 I, when I did a seminar with Daiki, he said, oh, I said, what, what back work do you do? And he goes, bench press. I said, what bicep work do you do? Bench press. What? I said, you know, I said, bicep work do you do? Bench press. So it's continual bench press. And it's, it's, a, it's a totally different lift. The grip's one thing. Um, external rotation of the upper arm, where the bar touches. It always touches light. There's no sink. It's a very light touch. Um, how the scapula scapula is the main focus point for Japanese bench. I always thought it was lats and pulling the bar apart and raising the chest up as high as I could. Um, from what I've been learning over the last yeah, 12 to 18 months and with para two, para is slightly different here, but focusing on that, you know, that static hold of big, big arch and hold and weight there and just let the elbows bend and, and extend up. That's how I used to bench press, but now it's changing. It's a lot more scapula orientated. And I'm trying to think, I need this lift to be alive, then just staying there and staying static and just elbows bend. Uh, I benched 145, I think, when I was um, in Uzbekistan with you. And I was going backwards and injuries and all those kind of, kind of things. I just did 150 touch and go, which is not amazing at my body weight. There's nothing sort of to, to rave about. But it was a totally different bench press. I felt like there was actually moving parts happening while I was taking the bar down. I'm not focusing on how how much my arch is at the start now, which is something I always coached. Now I'm thinking about what is my scapula doing from the start until it touches my chest and then on the way back up. Totally different approach to what I used to do. And, and I'm, I'm starting to coach that way too, where I'm like, yeah, arch is important, but remembering what your scapula doing, is doing is more important. And I thought, you know, lads pull it apart, it needs to stabilize the bar, which is a very common coaching cue. Um, but for me now, and me lifting personally, I don't think about lats being tight. When I, when I tighten my lats up and pull the bar apart, I can't use my scapula as well. I think about being more relaxed and working on my scapula on the down. What it's actually doing is you know, squeezing together. But I'm not thinking about pulling it apart and being really tense because I can't do the movement correctly. So that's a, that's a common thought of how the Japanese bench press movement. So when you say you're squeezing your scapula together on the descent, are you thinking of like rowing the bar to your chest and raising your chest up to the bar? Like how are you getting that squeezing motion happening? I used to think that. I used to think that even when I was doing a quip too, I used to think I have to pull the bar down and keep raising the chest to the bar. Now when I unrack it, I keep down rack very short, keep it over my joints, over my shoulders, and then I'll pull the bar forward and start to engage scapula when I get the star call. And then I'm thinking about squeezing my scapula together and down continually until the bar touches my chest. 
I'm not thinking as much about rowing. I'm not thinking is my range short. I'm not thinking anything like that. I'm thinking, can I squeeze my scapula together the entire movement on the down, which then will raise my chest up automatically, but I'm not thinking about what the chest is doing. I'm thinking about what the scapula is doing and am I doing it relaxed, not tense in the traps, not tense through the lats. And then when you go to press the weight, what happens there? I think a lot about leg drive from the chest, pushing the weight or pushing my legs from the toe to the heel back to my eyes, which then gets my elbow to shoot slightly back and under the bar. My elbow is slightly in front of the bar when it touches my chest. Then I use my leg drive, push the bar back, so it shoots back to head side, and my elbow carries slightly under the bar and back. And so when you, like, listening to the way you were talking about the scapular positioning and things there, does that then translate to how you talk to powerlifters about their bench press? Are you cueing them to try and make it this fluid motion down or do they do they appraise it differently? Mm, yeah, starting to change. Uh, uh, it's not... Uh, yeah, yes, I am. I'm not, I'm not talking about trying to arch as hard as you possibly can from the start. I'm talking about with my para-athletes to have a good arch, retract shoulder blades, but then when the bar is coming down, I want them to think about what the scapula is doing on the down. Yeah, that makes some sense to me. When I observe some of my clients, many of the ones, when they do their best bench press, you can almost see, it's like the start of the descent is is soft, like the bar starts easing down because their back's pulling together as they begin. And the elbow almost seems to break in concert with that. Does that make sense to you? You know, so you sure. see this little you see this little shift and the bar starts to move and the chest is rising and you can almost see everything around the rib cage drawing together. Mm, and then sure. when they hit the chest, they're like a coiled spring. And yes. then once the bar goes, you know, everything is everything is tight, but it's all it's all sort of like ascended tension sitting straight under the bar, and then they start to press and it just goes. Sure. You know? It used to be like I used to even think like even with where my legs were situated or my feet were situated on the bench or on the ground, sorry, near the bench press, I used to think they had to be as far under as I possibly could have them. But when I had them under further, it felt like my hip joint was coming straight up and I couldn't get leg, the leg drive that I wanted pushing the bar back. So now I have them out with vertical shins, so they're a little bit further away from my head, so it's actually creating less arch, but it feels to me now that I can push the weight back easier off the chest. Yeah, again, that that kind of makes some sense to me. It's like... If you're so preoccupied with trying to, this is trying to synthesize all the things you've just said. If you're really preoccupied with trying to tense your body and work yourself into positions, you might actually take away your ability to just yes. produce force and lift the weight comfortably. Mm, sure. Um, uh, yeah. Even even like um, when you see the, the best Japanese benches, uh, particularly Daiki Kodama here, when he unracks the bar, he unracks it so it's, it's literally a couple of centimeters out of the out of the rack, and then his first movement is scapula pinches together. It's what they call a zero bench, where the scapula squeezes together, and it comes down three or four whole heights on the on on the on the rack. He unracks it, say at seven, and it comes down to four or five. Uh, when he's zero bench where his scapula is starting to squeeze together, then he's thinking about scapula squeezing together even more and then shooting it back to the head side. It's, it's cool. Yeah. yeah, I guess people are going to have to look up some benches of um, Dakies because I have seen exactly what you're talking about and it's peculiar. 
because it's like the arms haven't done anything and this bar's already yes. sunk halfway to his chest. They um, make the bar come down as far as possible without bending the elbows. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've spoken about sort of having some pretty deep knowledge of the Japanese bench press training. Um, who have been some of the people that have been mentoring you in coaching, particularly for the bench press? Uh, there's a good friend of mine. Um, uh, so how it first started, uh, Daiki Kadoma came out to Australia 2016, 2017 um, for an event, uh, one of the Sydney Fitness Expos. I did a seminar with him at City Strength. Um, and then I actually was in touch with him a few times about going over to Japan and doing some learning with him, like staying for a week and doing some more, you know, some coaching or some mentoring. And then another friend of mine who I actually knew from, um, he was also from Japan. He, I met him at another event years ago on the way to a blind games. Um, uh, and I've been back and forwards with him on Facebook messenger and over the phone, um, about, um, the Japanese style bench pressing and, and his knowledge on that. And he had done a lot of work also with Daiki. So he's been one of the, the guys that's been you know, a really big help to me over the last 12 months. Yeah. Right. So if I, um, I want to take us all the way back to, we were talking about um, things that you've learned from para power thing that you were using in three lift. And you said doing more, more specific bench press work. Um, I do recall you saying, um, saying to me in person at one stage that you were using a couple of variations um, that you thought were specifically useful for powerlifting. And um, one of them I think was a pin bench. So like a feet up um, pin bench just off the chest. Um, sure. What's your rationale for using? Well, firstly, what are some of those variations? And secondly, what's the rationale for using them? And do you find them useful in the three lift context as well? I guess so. I had that approach. That was probably that conversation would have been about 12 months ago, I'd say. Yeah. Um, uh, that was something I had a, had some good success with. Pin, um, a lot of pin bench, um, a lot of uh, close grip pin bench, uh, a two count spot bench. Um, so variations. Now I've sort of dealt, I've went a little bit away from that over the last 12 months. Uh, doing more just specific lifts. I did have good success with that. Um, why did I do? Why did I have variations in the training back then? I think to keep training a little bit uh, exciting. Number one, uh, so variations keep people on their toes. Uh, number two is um, I found a lot of people struggle coming off the chest in the bench press, and so most people miss it, miss the miss the lift when it comes off the chest. So I would have a lot of long pin holds from the bottom where you would of course would stay tight. You would hold, you would hold your breath as per normal, but I'll have the lift to stay there for three or four seconds. Take, take the full stretch shortening cycle out of it and press it up. So a lot of good success with that. Um, and my para guys, the main variations now are a longer hold bench, um, but I don't do a lot of touch and go because it's so skill specific where you have to pause and the bar can't have much movement. So a touch and go I find is not a great variation for para because the, the rulings are too, uh, too hard. And so was the, um, was the pin bench specifically for para as well to address that having an uneven bar would get you red lights or was it mostly, um, was it mostly just because of positions you near the chest? Mm, mostly three lift I did use uh, for that, but I also used a little bit for my for para guys, um, depending on where the disability was. Uh, my amputees, um, 
some of them were using it. Um, just, just like I said, just to get that feeling of what it feels like to, to stop a weight for a long period of time and then press a dead weight up off their chest. Have you, with your three lift athletes, experimented with increasing the volume and frequency of bench press in total to try and bring up lagging bench presses, you know, in like in line with what you were saying about that power athlete who went from benching 180 to 230? Have you tried that? I had one of my athletes who competed once, uh, once last year, um, 105 kilo guy went from about a 147 and a half 150 bench press within about uh he'd been training for training aid was uh, three or four years of training for strength strength power lifting he went from 147 and a half to 160 in about mm, 10 weeks 10 to 12 10, weeks 10 so weeks it was a huge 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 carryover like this is massive jump. Um, how we had him bench pressing, which was a bit of an experiment, uh, three to four times bench pressing a week. Um, it was three uh, competition specific bench presses, and I think it was one pin bench at the time. And it was every warm up set had to be, I think it was uh, twenty at sixty or two two round two sets of twenty at sixty. Uh, two sets of 15 at 80, two sets of 10 at uh, 100. Might have been two sets of six at 110, and then two sets of four at 120. And then it was the work from there. And the bench press went just through the roof. Um, and then it stalled after that. So we, we, uh, we got a big jump. We changed the training program, and then guess what? Then he just stalled. And now I've just got, I say, just actually bench 170. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a big increase in a short period. It might have been 10 or 12 weeks. It was a big increase in a short period. And uh, this was something that came into mind when you first said it as well. Those light sets where you're doing, you know, 20 or so, say with 60 kilos, if you're a 160 kilo bencher, 20 at 60 is actually not a hard set at all. Um, 100%. What's the, what's the value that you see in people doing that set if it's, you know, so far from being difficult? I think it was more just, once again, skill specific, and also just increasing the total volume per week. I think that was the biggest, uh, the biggest thing we got out of it for him was that he just had more bench press volume and he was on the bench press more than what he was beforehand. He might've been on the bench press twice a week before that. He was on it four times now. And instead of him doing, yeah, even though the weight's light, light, light work, like you said, light work, he went from doing five ton a week to the 20 ton a week or 25 ton a week. So, um, that's 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 what we got out of him. And then for the people who you do use strategies like that, do you have to make accommodations with their other two lifts? Like, was he also squatting and deadlifting hard, or did you pull back on them? Uh, there was one squat that was hard a week. There was a, a light to medium squat, one moderate moderate deadlift, and then there was accessories around that. Right. Okay. So it's not uh, even that abnormal yeah. of a training structure. No, it wasn't. Yeah, they're exactly right. It wasn't, you know, focused solely on the bench press. Uh, Jess Green had exact a very similar, um, a very similar experience with this too. I think she went went from ninety two and a half or ninety five kilo bench at about seventy five kilos to a hundred kilos in a cycle that might have been twelve weeks. So I lifted that was at a high level, maybe top three or four in the weight class from you know, ninety two or ninety five kilo bench to a hundred kilos in one block. Um, yeah, a great, a great jump. Yeah, crazy. All right. 
Um, I reckon we've just about covered everything I wanted to know about para and bench um, in general. Is there is there anything that you think is particularly important um, about para powerlifting that people should know? And also, sorry, before or once you've said that, also tell us when the next big events are on for para. So next, yeah, I'll go around that point first and then I can explain what, what we've got also happening for the rest of the year. So para powerlifting, next major event, uh, July 10 to, July say 10 to 20, uh, Kazakhstan World Championships. That's the next major event. Um, Kazakhstan, so made up to you and me being in Uzbekistan. It could be an interesting experience in uh, Kazakhstan. Um, there'll be four, four Australian athletes and one New Zealand athlete that I'll be coaching over there, which will be fantastic. Um, and then there's another couple of World Cups towards the back end of this year and then Tokyo Paralympics next year. We already had our nationals earlier at the start of the year. We'll look to hold one more para, um, para event, most likely in Hawthorne towards the back end of this year. Um, and we're trying to actually organise a referee course, which I think is early October after the there's a, a Melbourne event or maybe a Melbourne... Yeah, Expo, is that right, Will? Do you know if there's a um, Melbourne Expo on maybe August, maybe early, late September, early October? Yeah, that'd be the same one that they had nationals last year, October. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes, okay. So that one is, um, we're looking to try and have a referee course down there for that. So we're in the pipeline with organising that. Um, so if any uh, powerlifting, uh, powerlifting Australia or anyone else that wants that's interested in power powerlifting that wants to also become a referee, um, that, that'll, that'll most likely be on after that weekend or before that weekend um, in Melbourne. Yeah, very cool. All right. Um, we're going to have a very quick break and then we're going to come back and hit Simon with the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Weekly Weights. All right, we're back on Weekly Weights. It's episode 55. Simon Bergner here. He's very distressed because he didn't know what the four questions were. Um, I've warned him, so we'll see how you do. Question one, this one's normally asked by Alex, so imagine him saying it. If you could take anyone to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? Um, anyone. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. We've had that answer before. Why Arnie? He's very influential in the fitness industry. And I didn't have a, that's the first person that came to mind. And I thought Alex Hayes and I thought just someone who's really muscular. And I thought, oh, Arnie just came to mind. Oh, rubbish. <laughs> All right. That's, he would be good. Like he'd have very good chat. When you think about how many experiences he's had across his life, he'd be good. Yeah. No, um, I agree. All right. Arnie's a good answer. Okay. Number two, who's your favorite athlete of all time? Addo Bolden. Who's that? Never heard of them. A hundred meter sprinter, maybe 96, 2000 Olympics. Um, Trinidad Tobago ran uh, late nines as a hundred meter. Just a, a cool, calm, collected character. Very good hundred and 200 meter sprinter. Trinidad Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago. Have you met him? No, no. <laughs> well, how do you know he's cool, calm and collected? Like Usain Bolt seems, oh, he seems cool, like that. He seems like that. Uh, so you can pick literally any any sprinter from the West Indies in the past two yes. decades, and that guy yeah. looked pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, I was actually talking about him last night. That's what sort of made me think about it. So, yeah, what brought him up last night? So, is, I mean, I it's obviously know. been something. I don't know. 
Yeah, I can't remember how it got brought up. Um, yeah, I was talking to one of my mates about it. But anyway, no, I just I think I might ask them if they know who he was. And they said no, exactly the same as you. Who? Who's that? <laughs> well, exactly. Did he get a medal or anything? Yeah, I think he finished silver behind Maurice Green. Uh, is it Maurice Green? I think it was Maurice Green being the second, yes. Okay. Okay. So he was good. He was good. He was good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's good. Wasn't just some guy just pulled out from uh, Jamaica and said, oh, he's seemed okay. Well, I mean, it kind of seemed like it. But, all right. So what, what's his name? One more time. Addo Boldman. Addo Bolden. Bolden. Shout out Addo. Um, righty. Question number three. Which movie or television character do you most resemble? Uh, probably Indiana Jones. What? You reckon you look like him or you act like him? <laughs> um uh, no, that, that was but that just came to my head. Who do I resemble? Uh, let me actually have a think about that. Um, oh, I'd like to say Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. You reckon you look like a Vin Diesel? Yeah, maybe. No, you can't see it in the photo here, mate. In the video, no, I don't look like him. <laughs> I don't think you look at all like Vin Diesel. Oh, come on. Say, when you were looking down for a moment there, you have you seen the new Avengers? No, I haven't. No, I've heard of people, a few people talk about it. I haven't seen it, no. Okay. Um, do you mind if I give a very minor no, spoiler? Go. Go. Okay, guys, if you haven't seen the Avengers, block your ears for five seconds. So Thor's kind of chubby in the new one. Oh, stop. I've heard yeah. this. Oh, yeah. Will, you look a bit like. Yeah, you look a bit like chubby, chubby Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, he's only to lose weight. I'm getting back on the assault bike when I get back to the gym. How much are you weighing at the moment, mate? Like 88? 80. Whoa, stop. Jeez, about 86, 86, 87, I think. I'm going to go downstairs and weigh myself in a minute. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the camera, mate. You know, they say the camera adds yeah, 10 be. pounds. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you're still good looking to me. I mean, Chris Hemsworth is a good looking guy, whether he's chubby or not, you know? So. Yeah, exactly right. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, no Thanks worries. for the compliment. So I reckon you look like Thor. Um, pick yeah. your Thor, but chubby one. Uh, <laughs> all right. Question. You're going well. You're going well there for a minute. <laughs> Question four. Your life's being made into a montage. You get to choose the music. What would you set it to? Uh, my favorite song, but not my life. Um, You've stumped me here. Um, I'm trying to think of a Midnight Oil song or any excess song. Um, maybe an ex- in excess song, Kick? I don't know, Kick. Do you want to sing us a couple of bars? That'd be so no, good. No, 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 please. No, no. You know, you know you what? Know, you want to play it? Yeah. You want me to play it? Yeah, you want me to play it? Uh, don't use your computer to play it. You'll hang the call up. Are you going to do it off your phone? Yeah, I was going to do it off my phone. Yeah. Have a look. You know what an excess song doesn't get much love, but I think's good is "Beautiful Girl." You know that one? That's a good song. Yep, yeah, I agree. Nice yep, I agree. Yeah, uh, I found that one on a CD my dad had in his car, which was called "Best Bonking Songs." I wasn't yeah, too happy. Great. Wasn't too happy. Yeah. Dad rocking that CD. I was Very like, "That's good. my fucking mum, Dad. You better keep your hands off her, you grub." Here's our song. Yeah, okay, that rings a bell. Warner Brothers Music are probably going to write to me now and <laughs> take down my podcast. If you've ruined Australia's favourite powerlifting podcast, <laughs> then hell to pay. All right, that's a good answer. So we've got Kick by NXS. All right, yep. man. 
Thank you so much for joining me. That's been a really informative episode. Um, your last job is to just tell everybody where they can find you, how they can get in contact, and yeah, anything else you got coming up soon. Sure, mate. Um, NSPC down in uh, Northern Suburbs of Wollongong. Um, Simon Bergner Strength Coach on Instagram or Simon Bergner on Facebook. Uh, email address is simon at nspcenter.com.au. All right, beautiful. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Will Berkman here. We'll chat to you next week.